You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Today, week three of our Amazing Jesus series, the text today will prod two assessments for you to make in your life today, okay? The text will prod two assessments. Assessment number one, what is your current interest level in Jesus? What is your current interest level in Jesus? At some point, we move through curiosity, but then we have to move from curiosity or even a a cursory look at Christ to a serious look at Christ. All of our lives have ebbs and flows that um, where our curiousness and seriousness kind of ebb and flow, but, but assessing where we are and dealing with that is what will, will kind of center out all those ups and, ups and downs. So assessment number one today, the, the message of text, will force us to deal with our um, current interest level. The second is it will uh, make you look at your current soul condition. Your current soul condition. I say this all the time that movement matters. And so all movement, all God movement is opposed. Okay? So is there something working against your spiritual growth, depth, and productivity? Because all movement's going to be opposed, so there's going to be something working against it, and the text will show us some of these. The form of the text, how we receive it today, will help us with assessment number one. The content of the text will help us with assessment number two, okay? So the form of the text today is it's a parable. Now, the, the cute little definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. My mom taught me that. Forgive me, I, I grew up in Sunday school. Mom taught me that. Um, my research to th- this week will, will counteract that a little bit, that, that even though this is a parable and it is set in a context which can be received, doesn't make it an easy, cute story. There is nothing cute and easy about this story. Jesus didn't teach in parables just to gather people's interest. In fact, what this text shows, that he taught in parables to separate the curious from the serious. All right, the curious from the serious. Um, the, the, the parable is either gonna draw you in or the parable is gonna leave you out. So Mark chapter four, verses one through 20 is the parable. And it's fascinating to me, Bible geek me, that this is where Mark introduces Jesus' first teaching. In Matthew, the book of Matthew, we get the Sermon on the Mount, right? We get this big opening, right, to Jesus' teaching as Sermon on the Mount. But in Mark, even though he talks about Jesus' teaching, he doesn't tell us that he's a teaching until this parable, and it starts with a parable. Um, so the first half tells us the parable. The second half, I'll tell you what the second half does in a minute. But the middle half is really what punches us in the face. So here's the middle half. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, here he's quoting Isaiah, They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. 
ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Huh? A cursory reading of that seems to indicate that Jesus is teaching a parable because he doesn't want everybody to get it. And yet the parable will tell us just the opposite. But when you just read that on the surface, it's like there's going to be some people that get it. There's going to be some people that don't. And I don't want them to get it. So I'm going to confuse them. I'm going to tell them the story and they won't understand. And that is that. But here is really what's happening. Jesus didn't teach in parables to exclude people from understanding, but to expose people's interests. Jesus drew large crowds. I mean, he'd show up. Before long, crowds show up, right? Because they had heard stories about what he did when people were around him, that there were people healed. There were people blind. There were people lame. There were people deaf. And, he, and this stuff was happening. And so, those, I mean, who doesn't want to see that, right? Who doesn't want to see that? If you hear that that, that kind of stuff's happening, you, you want to go see that. And so Jesus knew that he drew large crowds because they were interested in seeing what he did. But there were so far fewer that, was, that were ready to receive that he actually was the miracle. All right? So, those that were impacted by Jesus fell into two categories. Those who were desperate enough to get close to him and dependent enough to stay close to him. And so the teaching in the parables, then what it did was it brought out the desperate dependent ones that wanted more. That's why he begins in a moment, I'll tell you, teaches to crowds that he has to get in a boat because they're so, so much around the, the shore and up. So, but 12... The 12 and others hung around for act two. I don't know who the others are, really. I, don't, I couldn't discover who that is. So you could imagine the 12 were the disciples that were following. But then there were others. There were others that wanted to get close enough to figure out what he was saying. Um, Jesus didn't make being a follower of his easy. I mean, you think you're coming to start a movement. Let's remove every barrier possible. Heck, we put a QR code on the back of your seat to make it as easy as possible for you to do one of a dozen things, right? I want you to, right now, no, I'm kidding. So, you know, so we will do everything to make it, to remove every single barrier. And it just seems like Jesus put them up. I mean, in one, one occasion, he's asked this guy to follow me. He said, well, let me go bury my parents. And Jesus says, in all tenderness, let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. Now, was it the fact that he was not sympathetic to the man's parents having passed? Was it he didn't care about the context of the person living? And he was just, just some kind of hard guy that wanted... Or was he determining whether or not this person was serious about what he was saying? Another guy comes to him and he says, yeah, you can follow me. Go sell everything you have, everything you got. And when you finish all of those deals, then come back and follow me. Now, was it that Jesus needed all of his followers to declare bankruptcy, to be destitute and not have anything to follow him? Or 
Or was he discerning in the heart of the individual what really was the blockade? Because then we know by the story it says that the man went away sorrowful because he had much. Does Jesus, does he set high bars? Well, of course he sets high bars. But then we have a tendency to think of those high bars are how we behave and what we say, what we do, what we don't do. And yet his high bar is actually the highest bar He says, to follow me, you have to die to yourself. And if you're willing to die to yourself, if you're willing to give up everything that you think means life, then you'll be able to follow me. And I'm the real life. He sets high bars. But what he's really doing is he reveals our interest in him. Are we truly desperate and dependent? Or are we just curious for the show? David McCracken in his book called The Scandal of the Gospels, Jesus' Story and Offense, he says this about parables. He argues that parables are not modes of instruction, but rather forms of offense designed to obstruct the truth. He contends that the parables were not invented to convey points or to express propositions, but to precipitate internal action, forcing the hearer or the reader into crisis or collision that requires movement. (laughs) So to meet Jesus in a parable is to prepare yourself for a collision. And this is what I hope it sets up today. If you're looking for comfort and convenience in Christianity, this is not your faith choice. Christianity does not offer us comfort and convenience. It offers challenge, challenge, Jesus died for us. To secure this faith in Christ, we die to ourselves. In this kingdom that he walked, he suffered. In the kingdom that we walk now, we suffer. And yet there is something else coming to the extent that Paul says, all of what I suffer now won't compare in the in the most dry, it won't compare it to all to what I will receive in heaven in Christ. It is not a convenient faith, but it is the only one that gives us life. So with that kind of introduction, we are not going to read a kid's story today. We are going to get punched in the face. You ready? Everybody, you got to brace yourself for the collision for the punch in the face. So here's, here's the teaching, right? So this is what he teaches from the boat. Um, at the very beginning. And Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and he sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in this teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. So other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, to us, it seems like another story. He's done, he moves on, and yet the way he frames this parable, listen, the word there up front, listen, and then the back end when it says, um, 
for those of you who have ears, let them hear. This is how, the, and I pronounced it Shema months ago, and it's because I'm not a Hebrew scholar. It might not even be Shema, but what it is, it's a founding core place that we anchor ourselves, and it was, Israel's was the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? A Shema wasn't just an ascent to a thought, it was a prod to movement. Okay? It was a prod to movement. And so interestingly enough, he frames this story, he frames it in that context, that this is something you need to do something about. That's how the Jewish ear would have heard that on that shore. This is something you should do something about. And he finishes, and that's it. And the crowds, I don't know what they're doing. Hey, hey, what'd you think about the dirt story? I mean, I don't know what the crowds are doing, but what it says there in the gap is there was 12 and others said, oh, there's something more here that we're not getting. And we want it, right? There, there, there is a desperate level of saying, not just letting it go here and then here and then move on. It was like, oh, no, we want... We want what he just said here. And so they were desperate enough. They track him down afterwards. They, they wait in the reception line. There probably wasn't one after he tells a story like this. They wait in the line and they have the conversation. Um, so one of the thoughts, and I don't have it as a slide, but it's worth writing down. There's always more of Jesus for those who have the passion to want to push in to him. There's always going to be more. There's going to be more to what you're reading in the Bible there, there, you know, just there, there's always going to be more to Jesus. And the way to get there is to be desperate enough to want it and to be dependent enough to stay there. All right. So here then, now that he's got these around him, now he goes further. Verse 13. Then J Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then would you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Um, These, these are watermelon seeds. They don't look like normal watermelon seeds. It must be the watermelon seeds that we can, you can buy right now. Um, the fact that I have a bunch of them in this pack and you can't see them really demonstrates its own illustration that they're small, right? And then we have a watermelon. It's not a big watermelon. It won't feed a big family. But it's, it, when you compare the watermelon to that seed, you go, this came from that? Now, unless you're seriously into agriculture and botany, you, you should be amazed by this. That that thing right there goes into the ground and at some point breaks open 
and it produces a vine, and on that vine then produces this. This is crazy. This is kind of stupid kind of stuff, how this stuff can come from seeds. And so much of his teaching around the kingdom of God, he teaches it like seeds. Like at first glance, I saw a story about a guy throwing seeds on the ground can produce life in you. Yeah. Yeah. More, more than you can, you can picture that it can produce. Like, like you can't, fa- you see this, you don't go, uh, yeah, watermelon. Right? You don't do that. Right? Now, you see one of these, they're a little bit more distinguishable, right? See these, you go, oh, acorns or acorns, depending on where you grew up. Right? And, and in the southeast, all this is is for, for a barefoot culture, these things hurt. And you're right, you want to you get rid of them. And yet, and yet, an acorn seed then produces, given enough time, the picture behind me. Majestic oaks, right? There could be hundreds of years old. I mean, is there, is there any way you can perceive this to be that? I mean, there's really not, right? If we're, there's, you can't perceive that. And then... Um, Pine cones. So pine cone isn't a seed. Is it a seed? Is it a fruit? It holds seeds. And when seeds of the pine cone sprout up, then we get, we get this. Now, you may or may not recognize those, but those two trees are just out there. And they are, they are majestic. I mean, you know, the first glance of an insurance um, person says, get those things out of there, they're going to crush that house. Uh, and then the arborist in us says, those things are as healthy as can be, and they look great. And I just don't park under them because I don't want the pine cones and the pine needles. But is there any resemblance? <laughs> Z- zero resemblance. Seeds, the seeds that we have in the Word of God, John refers to Jesus as the Logos, the Word of God. What we receive in him doesn't look like much on the surface. Some people can relegate it to behavioral change. And it's so much more than that. Christianity and salvation is not a behavioral modification program. It is something that brings life from death. It is trans. Formative, And on the surface, it just looks too simple. But the reality is there isn't anything simple to it. Just because someone else has done all the heavy lifting doesn't mean that it was simple. It just means that it's free. Right? And this is when he starts getting into the soils. You, you would think an experienced farmer would not sow seed on the, some of the places we learn in the parable where he sows a seed. This is my dad's broadcast spreader. I don't use it. I just keep it because it was my dad's. Um, as a matter of fact, the residue in here would have been probably the last time my dad used it. And I always was fascinated as he, as he would do this because the faster you move, the further it threw the seed. And, you know, I mean, if I'm doing it, I'm trying to conserve seed. Right? Okay, how far is this throwing it? I want to be four feet away from my driveway. I don't want to waste any seed. And yet, the seed thrown by the sower, is he never considers it wasteful. If he considered it wasteful, then there would have been a lot more measuring to where, he, surely he had to be able to know, good seed, 
thorny seed, soil, shallow soil, hard soil. I'm going to stay over here. But he doesn't. That's not how he's teaching this parable. The sower will sow the seed. I'll just leave it there. All right. So let's get to the soils. Um, The hard soil. How does a path, how does it get hard? Well, it gets hard by traffic, right? Just normal wear and tear, walking on a piece of ground, turns it into a path. You give it enough time, you give it enough pressure, then pretty soon water doesn't penetrate a path any longer, right? Water sits on a path, water will flow off a path, and this is how he describes the first soil. Does anybody need to learn the lesson that life is hard in here, or have you already gotten that one pretty, pretty, pretty good, right? Life, everyday life, is either hard or monotonous, and we get some good, right? I, I like to say it this way. I don't like referring to days as good or bad days. I like referring to them as easy and hard days, okay? We all have easy days, and we have hard days. Good or bad, a lot of times, is how we're going to deal with those days. But the fact of the matter is, life is hard, paths are hard, and the way in which when we have, a, when it, when, when we have allowed ourselves to just get hardened by life, he's very specific here, the seeds of God are still available to us, but the enemy comes and takes those very quickly because they, they haven't landed on a soul that can receive them. So the issue really isn't hard because all of us deal with hard. It's how long do we want to deal and allow that life pounding to rob us of the ability to receive the seed that he gives liberally. Liberally. All right? Now, this would be a four-part sermon if I dealt with everything. How do you deal with the hardness that's happening here? I think the parable itself, just let it speak for itself today to let it challenge you on, on, um, on assessing is your soul hard? Be less concerned about how it got there right now. Be more attentive of, is, is, it, is it hard? So then he gets to the second soil and he throws and, he's, and it's on shallow soil. He says it takes root. So the soil is good. Soil is good. It takes root. But yet when hard comes, so hard in relation to maybe um, starting to, trying to live out what the seed has put in you, or now that that seed inside of you. Do you understand, when you start following the principles of the kingdom of God, you set yourself opposed to what prevailing culture is. Okay? And when you start going against prevailing culture, then you get moved on. As long as you're not on a log, you're good. Once you start moving and allowing the seed to transform how you act, what you do, what you, how you do it, well, now here comes opposition. Or even when you're trying to, uh, to, trying to let some of the seed of the word start something new in you and things get hard, you go, I thought this should be easier. I think, Lord, if you told me to do this and I do this, then things should just be. And that's the kind of soil he's talking about right here. I gained a complete education in dirt when we built this church. Okay? So I, I, learned, I learned a lot about dirt. I learned in our county that you have to get a septic permit before you get a building permit. And a septic permit is all dependent on the quality of your soil. 
And so the person doing the, the physical site work of the uh, better known as dirt work in this county, when they're doing the dirt work here, and I'm reading through the contract for the, of the person doing the civil, civil engineering with that, there was a line in there for um, a rock allowance. I thought, rock allowance. Yeah, this is in case we want, run into rock. If we run into rock, it's going to cost this much to remove the rock. And I'm like, dude, are, are you looking at the property? Ain't no rock here. And we're not built on the side of a mountain. You, plenty of places are here, right? He said, no, no, Pastor, you don't understand. He said, when you go down three, four feet, three feet, four feet, five feet, six, this is where you run into rock. I learned in our area here, if there are a lot of scrub pines on a piece of property, there's a lot of rock. Because those pines don't need an extensive root system. It's a shallow root system, right? So this is, this is the image I get here. Hey, I can be, I can be excited about Jesus, I can be excited about trying to implement the things he teaches in his work. I can try. The question is, is my soil, have I not done enough excavating to get, so one, the, the hard's on the, on the top side, and you can see it. The other is the hard's down a little lower, maybe it's stuff that we haven't dealt with. And so we'll, we'll, we'll go only go so far with God, and then if it gets hard, we're out. We're only going to let this get so deep, we're going to go tread little, so many feet, because if it gets too, if it gets too hard, then I'm out. Shallow soil. Next soil he talks about thorny soil. I call it a crowded soil. Soil's crowded. My life's crowded. Right? This, some of this is the Jesus and culture that we've been in the last couple of decades, which is I'll take Christ as long as I can take other stuff and put it together. Right? I can basically build, it, build my own faith. I'll take the best things about Jesus. I'll take the best things about secularism and human. I'll take the best pieces of all these as if there are best pieces of the others. And we'll put them together and we'll form a faith. The other is he outlines three very specific things. First, he talks about worry, that worry or anxiousness crowds out the word of God in us, crowds out the seeds in us. Um, right? If you're teaching, if you're teaching uh, someone how to drive, one of the first things you need to tell them is the car will go wherever you look. And particularly, I'm, I'm much a safer driver with Gina sitting next to me. Especially around here, because when, when harvest time comes and I start putting those big hay bales out, the big round ones, I don't know what it is. I've lived here 16 years and I can't keep my eyes off of them, right? And so that's where the car goes. And you know the roads around here don't have shoulders, so it's a problem, right? It's a problem, the course correct. It's not that we don't have things that, that, that um, solicit worry. There's not the things that we have to deal with that wouldn't solicit anxiousness. The question is, do we give in to that? It's not that you sweep stuff on the rug and say, oh, it's all going to be okay at the end of the day. Because no, the truth is that not everything is. But it is what then will drive me today? Will, will the worrying and the anxiousness about this real thing, is it going to drive me? Or is my trust and my desperate nature of pushing in God, is that going to drive me? Because if worry and anxiousness drives me, it crowds out the soil. Right? The second he talks about is deceitfulness of wealth. The key here is on the deceitfulness of wealth, right? Given the choice, I prefer more money than less money. I don't know about you, but if you give me the choice, I'm choosing more, right? There's, there's right, there ain't nothing wrong with money, all right? If you don't like yours, meet me immediately after. So, so scripture doesn't ever teach anything wrong about money. It's amoral. We're the problem. And how the enemy uses, uses wealth to deceive. What's the deception around money? If you got more of it, you're going to be happier and more secure. That's the main. You're, you're more of a person with it than you are without it. There's another deceitfulness about money. 
right? So if you believe those things, then you chase wealth, and it's just chasing a carrot you never catch. I can prove it to you. More than likely, you make more money now than you did 10 years ago. Are you any happier? Are you dealing with any less problems? Right? So, so there's the truth. There's the truth of it. Some of the most grounded spiritual people I've met have been really wealthy people. Really, it's amazing. When you run into a believer that's really wealthy, sit and glean everything you can from them talking to you because it is amazing how much perspective they have. Now, the deceitfulness is saying, well, yeah, if I had that much money, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be okay too. I'd be calm. No, no, no. That, the fact of the matter is it's not because the wealth is deceitful. So when we don't have that in proper perspective, in, in fact, when, when uh, the scripture, when it says, when Paul says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, we, we love saying that. When I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. The context of that is he says, that I, I have been content with and without stuff. Kind of changes when you want to say, I can do all things in Christ, yeah. right? All right, and then the last one is says, care for other things. Uh, you get distracted with other things. Um, a good thing is not always the best thing to chase, right? I've learned not every good idea works. Not everything gets my time and attention, deserves it. Is it also fascinating here living in farm country that we can run into cows, Goats, horses, on hundreds and hundreds of acres of property. And yet, we will stick our neck through a barbed wire fence to get the weeds that are growing between the road and that fence. What, eight feet maybe? Six feet in some cases? Hundreds of acres of opportunity boom, I'm going to get the stuff I can't get, the fear of missing out, that somehow I'm missing something, but I'm not chasing this, and I'm not chasing that, and I'm not chasing this, chasing. and all of that, really, the soil is good, the seeds are coming up, and as the seeds come up, then, then I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking around the soils of our soul. I have been every soil in this list. I have made the circuit more than once. And that's why I think it is a, this is not a cute story. It's what is your current interest level in Jesus now? What is your soul condition? Because then he gets to the good soil. Good soil doesn't describe what good soil is. So then how do we know what good soil is? By context, the only way I think we can see that is good soil is not hard, it's not shallow, and it's not crowded. That would be the best definition of good soil if he's told us what these other soils were. Notice the only variable in this story, I could say variable in the parable, but that, that anyway. So is us, the sower, He's the same for all of us. The sower goes out to sow his seed. The seed, not the variable. The same seed that landed on the path is the same seed that landed on the good soil. Same seed. The variable then becomes our soul. What is the condition 
of our soul. Um, C.S. Lewis um, said that aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Pretty good. What is your current interest level of Jesus? Are you desperate, independent people? What is your current soil condition? Can you identify, can you identify something that is hindering the production of the kingdom of God in your life? On March 20th, I don't know which farmer decided this or how it was decided, but on March 20th this year, spring begins. Spring beginning means winter has ended, right? Um, you remember that really cold blast of air we got um, a couple months ago? I mean, like it got like sub-zero temperature, right? Even breathing outside, it burned, it hurt. Did it destroy any, did it seemingly destroy anybody else's shrubbery at their house other than mine? Right? I mean, it just look, everything just looks dead. And I'm, you know, I'm looking over our landscape at our house going, man, we're going to have to replace a bunch of stuff. And then I come here to the church and these bushes, that uh, shrubs that line the front of the building that, you know, when we get into the fall, when they've gotten so high, we got to, got to cut them down. Man, they look trashed. And I was looking at them yesterday and said, man, we're going to have to replace all of these things. And then I looked a little closer and I saw the tiniest of green leaves starting to pop out. And it was in that moment, I felt like the Lord said to me, there is life where things still look dead. And that was a word I believe he wanted me to bring to you in this moment today. You may be in a season of life that looks dead. You can be in a position where the, the, the blast of cold air hits you at such a level that you feel dead. And what he wants to say to you today is there is life. This is the kingdom of God. It, it sits in some of the most unique places. And yet it always, when, it, when you let it get there, it will bring life. What's the current interest level? Sometimes when you find yourself in desperate situations, none of us choose those, but when we're in those, what are you going to do with the desperateness? My suggestion is be desperate for him, dependent on him, and just watch to see what he does. Um, So, Father, in this moment where you were, you were so straightforward with those 12 and others, I, I know they had to walk away from that secondary teaching wrestling with what they were going to do with your words. And I don't know anybody that would, after hearing that and seeing that, would just settle for non-productive to 
settle for that I don't want life to grow inside of me. But how we get there, how we, how we unearth the things that are blocking, how we, how we pull up those weeds, that becomes how this stuff has to get done. But the decision to do it starts on days like today. And so, Lord, in this moment, do the work in us that only you can do. And, Lord, we'll do the work that only we can do. So in this moment of response, church, please take those last words to heart. There is work only God can do, and he is fully prepared to do it. But there is work that only you and I can do. And the question is, are we prepared to do it? Preparing soil makes a mess. But if you will make the mess, the soil will bring life. So in our movement time today, hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Don't take this message sitting down. Move. Receive communion. Huddle up with your family. Find a place to get your knees on a piece of concrete. Whatever he's brought to you to do, you're not going to fix everything all at one time. Whatever he's brought to you to do, do the work on that in this moment. So stand with me. I'm going to pray one last time for you, and then I encourage you for movement. Father, you... You've used, you used that, that metaphor of the seed so much in your teaching around the kingdom of God because it looks like it's small and it doesn't do anything. And yet when we open our lives to it, you said it produces so much life. So this was your word. I don't know if I did it justice or not, but Father, I trust in your little seed. So help us all to trust in your little seed and do what you're calling us and urging us to do now, bring life and green out of brown and brittle and dark in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.